0: People have this conversation, they have it, I feel like in the weightlifting world, yeah. oftentimes, and they're like, oh, you gotta lift weights. And But I'm like, are you saying that you can't treat a hockey player? You can't treat a baseball player? You can't treat a football player? Because you've never done any of those things. And it's like, oh no, well I can still treat them. It's like. Welcome to Training Room Talk, powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. Here we will discuss all things related to physical preparation, Including rehab, performance, and education. Welcome back to Training Room Talk Powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. I'm here with Dr. Troy Cuck. What's going on, guys? Dr. Hannah Lewis. Future. Future <laughs> hey, Dr. Guys. Hannah Lewis. Um, and my name is Dr. Max LePage. We're gonna talk a little bit about uh, what's a conversational or a controversial conversation that happens from time to time on social media. I feel like it kind of resurfaces every so often and it's about whether or not you need to practice what you preach as a clinician as a healthcare provider or as a coach maybe for strength conditioning for athletes certain sports or, or whatever personal trainers um, so obviously there's the adage of like I don't want an overweight personal trainer or like I don't want to see a physical therapist who's in pain or, or whatever the kind of conceptions might be about wanting the person who's giving you advice to follow it to a T themselves. So we're just going to break down kind of what our thoughts are on that conversation. Uh, any opening remarks? Hannah has a joke. Oh, so, yeah.
1: yeah. Sorry, guys. Hold on. I was Let me gonna pull gonna forget it up. That. I forgot about it. How did I forget? Okay the most okay. important part. I know. All right. What did the shark say when he ate the clownfish?
0: I have no idea. Stomp.
1: This tastes a little funny.
0: <laughs> Always a Very pun nice. with you. That was a good one, right? That was <laughs> a good one. Um, Very nice. Perfect. So, any other now, any opening remarks about this conversation? Do you have to practice what you preach to be a good PT?
2: I'm going to say to some extent, go with yeah. the it depends. So, if you are in dealing with an athletic population, then I think you do need to somewhat look the part and play the part, right? Like you were saying about your personal trainer, you want them to look fit, right? Look the part. Yeah. So if you are dealing with a very active population, then I think you should be active to some extent. You should be involved with some some sports, some lifting, some exercise, anything like that. doesn't matter what, but to some extent, some activity. However... As a PT, I don't think you need to practice what you preach. And we don't go to the gym and do two hours of, like, stability and neuromuscular control for every day. It doesn't happen. What's your take?
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's important. Whenever people have this conversation, like, it is important, I think, to be sensitive to the fact that, you know, you may have PTs out there who are double amputees or who have, you know, significant physical impairments that they were born with or that happened through trauma that they might not have the ability to participate in a lot of sports and recreation and training styles that, uh, you know, is just a circumstance of, you know, their life and something that either happened or a congenital thing. So I feel like it's always important to be sensitive to the fact like it can't, it can't be a requirement, right? We can't expect that it's required because now we are limiting the profession only to people who are able to do that thing, right? Like a little ableist, if you will. But I definitely agree that it's helpful to have the experience of like engaging in something that's physically challenging, regardless of what it is, just because there are elements of that pursuit that I think, more than give you any like actual objective or valuable information from a physical standpoint i feel like it helps you relate more from a psychological standpoint of like your pursuit of excellence in this physical thing is something that i have pursued as well to some degree and so i can you know i'm more i guess apt to understand the process for you and like the psychosocial implications of not being able to do what you want to do. And um, so I think that it it's very valuable as a provider to like have that experience yourself. It's certainly not a necessity because there could be great providers out there who don't have the capacity to do so. Uh, I would still within, you know, kind of those folks and within all people in general, like I would like to see us all try to be pushing ourselves in some capacity. I think that everyone, has some capacity or some ability to push themselves in in certain ways, even if it's you know a wheelchair bound person playing wheelchair basketball or doing wheelchair races or engaging in you know upper body resistance exercise and other things that I think would provide them as much value as it provides us to do similar things for our own patients. I just think it helps you be more relatable and mm-hmm. more understanding as a provider
2: adds to like that trustworthy component too with that relationship
0: yeah i mean patients i think definitely take favorably like you said to seeing a personal trainer who's fit into you know knowing that their physical therapist played sports in college and you know went through their own injuries and surgeries it's hard to know like how important is that versus how much of it is just kind of like the surface level image of everything but it definitely i mean i know when i was a patient and i was injured and had low back stuff i was looking for a pt who had done some power lifting or had lifted some weights because i just felt like this person's going to be able to understand me a little bit better Mm -hmm. i didn't necessarily care that they were still like lifting weights and still doing all that stuff although it's obviously nice to see like okay someone has done it to the point that they're able to do it sustainably for the course of their life. Like they're still active and they didn't, Like if they're giving me information about injury prevention and things like that. Like they've been able to stay in the game for a long period of time. Gives you some hope, right? Yeah. It gives me some hope. Like it's reassuring <laughs> to some degree that, Hey, you know how to, because I think a lot of it, like when we talk about patient management, how much of what we do is, Like, if you were to give the importance of your role in helping someone with their health and fitness, is it managing the injury that they have now? Or is it instilling maybe some behavioral change that allows them to incorporate healthier components of their lifestyle for the long term? I'd make the argument that probably the behavioral change is the most impactful thing that you can do like really long-term with someone mm-hmm. like getting them to be more active in general and incorporate exercise and nutrition as, as kind of parts of their weekly or daily habits and so i feel like when you're thinking of that construct of what's more important is that behavioral change or is it managing my acute injury I'd like to see a PT who's been able to incorporate their own behavioral change techniques into their own life to create sustainable habits because that makes me confident that they're going to help me navigate my own challenges in trying to you know, participate in exercise long-term. So I feel like mm-hmm. I look at it almost as more of a behavioral thing than a managing my immediate or acute injury in the same way that I think a coach will maybe be able to write me a great 12-week program. But if they're out of shape and haven't trained in 15 years, it's like, is this program going to, you know, consider long term adherence and behavioral patterns? Or is this just like a short term, quickest way to an end goal type of thing? So I, don't know. I think that's a more important consideration maybe for clinicians than for strength coaches or coaches in general, personal trainers.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I think it's also important, like what you were going off of you know walking a mile in the patient's shoes so you know when you tell somebody to go do like 10,000 or a thousand was it feet on the versa (laughs) you should probably have done that just to feel what that feels like and know how your client or patient is going to feel when they hop off of that thing and then that's just the beginning of the session so you with a lot of these things that we do have our patients doing I think you should have at some point at least once Gone through what they are going through now, just so you can like feel that and dose appropriately, too, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it is a really valuable feedback to be able to. Like, I've, I mean, I've programmed for myself for so many years and I've written stuff down where I'm like, oh, this is gonna be like a really great session. Mm-hmm. And then I go through it and I'm like, why the hell did I pair this with this? Like, can't. that makes zero sense. I'm like, I'm literally gassed in two minutes. I planned to do fifteen minutes. Like it was, it felt like my Imam the other day that I was telling you I did sixteen yeah. minutes. And I'm like, by minute three, this workout no longer makes sense. And mm-hmm. but on paper, like it looked like it was going to be fairly reasonable, and it just didn't turn out that way. So I feel like yeah, when you're because we had students from Widener come in. I know this was like a thing that John and Rob did with some of them, where they had them write a workout for a theoretical patient or not even a patient but more of a client of a strength conditioning facility and all they had to do was write a workout that addressed some degree of like deficits that showed up on an evaluation and then when they wrote the workout the next day that they came in to turn it in when they went to turn it in they had to actually do it and then i know a lot of them realize like they're all crushed yeah like that was ridiculous like i did 10 second eccentric squats supersetted with reverse lunges followed up by you know five broad jumps <laughs> I was like okay kind of yeah these things don't these things don't work together so I feel like that's another thing that is valuable for you to go through some things it helps you refine like what is a reasonable expectation of someone being able to complete a certain thing and what's not but at the same time like the reality is I'm not a runner right and any running workout at all would be absolutely terrible to me and so for me to then program or to create a session for an ultra marathoner there's nothing that i'm going to be able to do that's going to give me any firsthand appreciation for what would be challenging for that person or similarly like i've never participated in a throwing sport i've never played baseball I played hockey. That was my main, like, team sport. So I don't actually really understand what it's like to really pitch at all or to pitch especially at 100 miles an hour 105 miles an hour. It's
2: not too late, Max. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. We can sign you up for a marathon. We can start training. Yeah, but Get that's – down <laughs> on the field.
0: Says the person who ran two 20-yard sprints last
2: week and could barely walk for two days. <laughs> that's true. It's uh, been a while. But, like – i didn't practice what i preached i didn't warm up that's went in cold yeah that's what you get
1: in khakis too (laughs) yeah in
2: khakis but
0: you did also score was it the highest broad jump or the second
2: highest i think it was the highest broad jump. you
0: think it was the highest i'm not counting nine feet
2: six inches or something like
0: that yeah it's pretty good i think i tested him out my last clinical rotation when i was in school and i believe i was like Somewhere in the eight or nine feet range, I'd have to retest. Is height an advantage on that, though? I guess height would be an advantage, right? I guess longer legs would be. I'm not yeah. sure. All right, then you're cheating. Is that so <laughs> we're going to have Genetical to. advantage. Yeah, we're going to have Genetic. to factor <laughs> the ratio of the length of my legs to the length of your legs and then give me that percent benefit. I'll part. give you that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like when people have this conversation, they have it, I feel like, in the weightlifting world yeah. oftentimes. And they're like, oh, you got to lift weights. But I'm like, are you saying that you can't treat a hockey player? You can't treat a baseball player? You can't treat a football player? Because you've never done any of those things. And it's like, oh, no, well, I can still treat them. It's like, okay, well, then why can't a baseball player turn PT treat a weightlifter? Does he have to snatch and clean and jerk? Like, the, I think that the when people make the argument, it does tend to break down sometimes. Yeah. And that's why I feel like the most important thing is the psychological experience of pursuing a physical endeavor consistently over time, regardless of what it is. That is like the most important part of practicing what you preach. It's not necessarily feeling what it's like to have your shoulder pitched 100 miles an hour. Like you're just not going to feel that. Mm And I don't think that that diminishes necessarily your ability to manage those patients. Right.
2: What do you think, Hannah? Do you practice what you preach?
1: (laughs) Um, As far as being active, yes. I think like, well, because there's so many different ways you can take it too. Like, if you think about sleep, if you think about like water intake, or you know, all these different things because we preach those too, not just being active, because all of this contributes to a healthy lifestyle. But if I look at my sleep right now, if I look at my <laughs> water versus caffeine intake, I wouldn't necessarily preach that to someone. So I think for me, it really comes down to like, what is realistic for that person? And that kind of goes to the behavior change. Like, I'm not gonna say, okay, five days a week, you need to be perfect in this. I'm gonna say, no, Maybe let's start with two days a week. Can you do this?
0: Yeah. But at the same time, like the sleep and nutrition and coffee, like the fact that you are still active and you have the experience of not having those things perfect, I think adds to the ability to speak to that stuff, too. Right. Mm -hmm. Like for me, if I don't I, I have the experience of being active and trying to push myself. And going through periods where I'm not sleeping well or my nutrition isn't where it needs to be or should be and I feel the effects of that so when I make a recommendation like hey maybe you're not feeling great because you told me like you were in finals week last week you only slept you said five hours on average you know I have had that experience where I've been underslept like that and yeah it does take a toll and you should expect that this would occur and, and whatever so I feel like there's value in messing up too, mm-hmm, because sure. anyone who's sitting in front of you has messed up in some capacity. That's why they're here. You know, it might not always be their fault per, like necessarily, mm-hmm. but I mean, there's value in straying from the path of like what would be theoretically perfect as well.
1: well. I think that's important too, that we're not trying to convince our patients that we're perfect. You know, we're humans too, but
2: yeah, far yeah. from. Yeah, (laughs)
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, this comes, like, sometimes I have this struggle because I have, you know, my left knee hurts from time to time. I've had surgery on it a couple years ago and uh, fairly unsuccessful surgery, and my low back flares up once in a while when I'm training. And the reality is, like, if you're pushing some of that stuff even a little bit and you also have a full-time job and other life stressors, The reality is like pains are a part of the process. And this goes back to the episode where we talked about, you know, being hurt versus injured and how hurt is maybe a little bit more normal and just a part of the process. But sometimes even I feel like, man, like my left knee, I feel like shouldn't hurt because it's a bad example for patients. Like I have that internal dialogue Mm -hmm. where in reality it's probably the opposite. It's probably like my left knee should hurt and my ability to kind of cope with that and manage it and work around it and keep being active that is like the true example that I should be setting for my patients not this false idea that
2: PTs are pain free yeah
0: that PT (laughs) or that even pain free is possible like we talk about pain free fitness and all that stuff but is it possible to be pain free forever? No it just isn't like it I don't realistic. care, yeah, I don't care how much mobility work you do or stretching or strength training or anything. You're just going to get injured at some point. Something's going to nag you. And, yeah, I think when you think about, like, practice what you preach, it's not necessarily being pain-free and being, you know, the, the model patient with no issues. It's being able to kind of work around that as a patient and as a human being, who's no different than the people sitting in front of you.
2: And yeah. I mean, I've definitely like you know stretched my back or my neck in the clinic, and my patient would be like, "Why are you in pain?" Kind of. Yeah. Thing. Like, what it are happens. you doing that I'm for? Like,
0: <laughs> Listen, I don't. I don't know what to tell you. Back pain is complicated. There's not a ton of answers. Yeah. Um,
2: but I mean, it goes. You know you go to a carpenter's house the carpenter's house isn't going to be completely perfect and with you know no flaws or anything right like
0: yeah i mean that's 100% true it's tough because carpenters would know how to fix it <laughs> and sometimes like those answers just don't exist and i feel like that's part of like when we talked about uncertainty for students and like managing that like that uncertainty never disappears and human beings are just complex and you know, again, that's like why I think going back to the psychology of the pursuit and the ability to relate to people in the process is more important than, you know, the actual skills or the, you know, physical attributes that you would develop. It's like, have you have you ever recommended to a pitcher to reduce their pitch count? Yeah. Have you ever reduced your pitch count?
2: My pitch count? Yeah. It's pretty reduced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: So, But like you're making a recommendation on training volume based on your knowledge of how volume might impact, you know, symptoms and recovery and things like that. But you've never managed your pitch count. I've never managed a pitch count on myself, you know, but you're able to kind of develop enough knowledge to make those recommendations without having to necessarily experience them yourself. Because you've managed your squat volume and there's a similar relationship there. So you kind of appreciate it from that end. But like I would be fine going to a PT who's an ultra marathoner. Mm -hmm. I would prefer to go to them than to go to a PT with zero exercise experience. But I wouldn't necessarily feel like I'm in better hands going to a PT who has direct weightlifting experience or CrossFit experience. Like as long as you're kind of about that life, so to speak whatever in whatever capacity it is, I tend to like look at that and I'm like, all right, you, you check that box off the list. I don't need you to be exactly who I am. Mm-hmm. I agree. Any last thoughts? I agree with that. Wow, well, bunch of <laughs> yes men. Um, cool, well, you know, what do you guys think of when you see this conversation happening online? Who do you usually see it from And what are like your thoughts when you see it?
2: I guess when I see it, the practice what you preach, a lot of it is like whether it's fitness professionals, coaches, PTs, whatever, it's, you know, kind of them in their living room doing all of these mobility, stability drills, whatever it is. And it makes it seem like it is the, you know, they practice what they preach. It seems like they go home every day they're in their living room and they're doing like these you know thread the needles and million dollar stretches like that and they just wake up and do that every day it's is the perception that comes off from it
0: yeah do you think that if those people say had zero military or tactical experience and you ask them hey can you treat my buddy he was in Iraq for three months at war he's coming back he has some knee pain from whatever happened in Iraq. Can you treat them? Do you think that they would say, oh yeah, I can totally treat them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do they practice that endeavor? Absolutely not. And so I feel like every time I look at those conversations happening, they're happening with like such a narrow scope. And if you were to ask the person, can you treat a child? They're like, yes, absolutely. I've been a child. But I'm like, <laughs> okay, but you've never been a child, you know, with telephomoral pain, as a gymnast and rehabbing that you don't practice that style of like living at all that sport or at that age, you don't have experience that they have. And most of those clinicians would say like, yeah, I can still treat them. So as soon as you open the door to like, are you able to now speak on these topics? They're like, yeah, I can speak on those topics, but I thought you had to practice what you preach. And they realize that like, Hmm, if I really only was qualified to treat the people who I directly have experience in, then I actually wouldn't have many people in front of me. And so I think a lot of the time, like I see those arguments and I'm like, you don't actually believe this. Mm -hmm. This is just a way for you to kind of stand a little bit on the pedestal and say like, I lift weights or I'm still active. And it's like, that's really great that you're doing that, but that doesn't necessarily make you more
2: Qualified per se I would say going off that though I think at least us here we do a great job of practicing our like general overarching themes right like we do pay attention to our nutrition we pay attention to our sleep, our recovery we give a decent amount of importance to just fitness and overall activity like we do, those are higher priorities in our lives so I would say like the general overarching themes we do practice what we preach
0: Yeah, for sure. Like I think, and and again, that's like where the psychological approach and the behavioral approach is like we, we uphold certain values related to health and wellness. And at a baseline, we all, you know, adhere to those values in whatever way that we enjoy or so choose. And we encourage other people to adhere to those values as well. But how exactly they do it, is up to them. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like I need to do the thing that they do in order to be able to treat them. And I don't think that any other provider needs to do the thing that they do in order to be able to treat them as well. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when you extrapolate it out of rehab and you're like, okay, does an oncologist have to have had cancer? You know, Does a uh, cardiologist had to have had heart disease? Like almost no other provider can truly practice what they preach from a true patient experience i've had the same experience standpoint mm-hmm. we never want to see a i never want to go to a cardiologist who has you know necessarily had cardiac problems like i'm not looking for that yeah yeah we're looking for a provider who does exactly what you do and has the same experience so i don't know i think it's a little weird when we when we chase that too much but like you said there's there's definitely value in Looking that, looking for those foundational like values of health and wellness, but exactly practicing the specific thing, I I don't quite see the tremendous importance in that. Even though maybe it gives you a little bit more insight. But
2: mm -hmm.
0: any last thoughts? All right, I'm out of thoughts. (laughs) All right, Uh, hopefully this provided somewhat of a nuanced kind of discussion on the topic again like i think it's important to be sensitive towards folks who don't have the capacity to do certain things and uh, you know they still can engage in you know health and wellness practices just like the rest of us and we love to see people do that um, and maybe practice those kind of components of of being a human being walking on earth and trying to kind of live as sustainably and healthy as we can but we certainly want to acknowledge that we do not expect that they can participate in the same things that their patients participate in and certainly not that that's a prerequisite to be able to manage people effectively or to manage their health with any you know legitimate authority i think that we all have the opportunity to learn from patients and to learn from each other on what the different sport demands are and what the opportunities for improvement are. And uh, we can use that as the basis for conversation and learn from our patients just as much as they kind of learn from us on those fronts. Uh, So hopefully this was helpful. We will talk to you guys in the next one. Hope everyone's staying safe, staying healthy, and we appreciate you listening. Bye.
2: Did you know we now offer personalized remote programming
0: one-on-one video telehealth sessions, and mentorships for both students and professionals. If you're interested in any one of these, please email john at j-o-n at precisionperformancept.com,
1: and he can help you get started today.